0: Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. And today I've got a great guest for you all the way from Chicago where he promises me it's cold, but not snowing as much as they were expecting. He's an international keynote speaker who believes that a remarkable customer experience can be your very best marketing. He's had a 20-year professional career and has been constantly focused on delighting customers and spanning multiple disciplines, including customer experience, marketing, social media, and customer service, having held three leadership positions in Fortune 300 companies, McDonald's, Discover, and Humana. He's the author of the book, Winning at Social Customer Care, How Top Brands Create Engaging Experiences on Social Media, and hosts experience this. He is a regular contributor to Forbes and has recently been named in the top 50 thought leaders to follow on Twitter in 2020. Wow. Apart from that, he's a long lifelong Chicago Cubs fan, a licensed barman, and a pinball wizard. Sounds like a misspent youth to me. Please welcome Dan Gingis. Dan, how
1: are you? (laughs) I'm doing great, James. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited for the conversation today.
0: No, me too, and thank you for taking the time. It's a,
1: a licensed bartender. I didn't know you needed to be licensed, do you? Uh, well, I don't know if you need to be or not, but I did acquire my license many years ago. Um, actually, right after college, while I was working full time, I went to bartending school at night for, right. I think it was two weeks, you know, really, really extensive program. And, uh, <laughs> and I learned in that time about 350 drinks and I never really wanted to be a bartender, but I will tell you all these years later, it's a skill that I still use and yep. I'm really glad that I did it. Do you know, I, I worked as a student in a cocktail bar for uh, for
0: a good many years, and uh, every now and then those drinks come back to you, don't they? Especially at parties where uh, someone's uh, saying, oh, you used to work in a bar, didn't you? And suddenly you knock up something absolutely fantastic. It's a, it's a life skill, Dan. That's what it is. It is, exactly. It's a life skill. I'm not sure pinball is, but the but the bartending certainly is. Well, uh, pinball is something that uh, one day we will have a machine in our home. Have you got one of your own?
1: Um, I'm afraid to tell you that I have five of them. <laughs> oh, wow. But you'll but make my wife I, very jealous. Two I inherited from my parents, so maybe those don't count. But yes, right. I, I really enjoy it. And um, it, that maybe was a misspent youth, but it's uh, it's coming back now. So they're getting popular again. And I just have to convince my teenagers that they're still cool. Oh, they're very cool. Tell us what your favorite one is. My favorite one's The Addams Family, which is a lot of people's favorite. It's uh, the first one that really was attached to a movie. And uh, it's just a great, it's a great game because it it has a story along with it. It's very difficult but for an expert, but it's pretty easy and approachable for a newbie. And right. uh, it's got the voices of uh, Raul Julia and, um, oh man, I'm forgetting her name, who played... Uh, who played Mrs. Adams, it'll come to me at some point later in the interview, Um, (laughs) but it has their really real voices, and it's a a blast. I was going to try to help you out there, but I have no chance. I've only just learned who Steve Buscemi
0: is, Dan, so uh, you know, (laughs) names in films is just not my thing. How did you
1: end up doing what you're doing now? How did you end up in customer experience? Well, as you mentioned in the very nice uh, introduction of me, I spent 20 years in corporate America, mostly in marketing roles. And um, what happened was my last role at Discover, which was uh, about 2013 to 2016 or so. I was put in charge of digital customer experience, and what right. that meant was basically running the website, which had 50 million logins a month, uh, the mobile app, which was at the time had not yet eclipsed the website. You know, it was it was still growing, and. Uh-huh. So, I was in charge of sort of marketing on those properties, but also introducing new features and functionality. And what I learned in that job was how impactful very small changes to the experience can be in terms of customer feedback, customer satisfaction, you know all of these metrics that we're already tracking and at the same time i was put in charge of the social media team at discover and no joke if you go and look on my twitter account at gingus and look at the date that i joined twitter that's the day that i started in that job because i was <laughs> basically i'm like well heck i'm i'm running a social media team i better figure out what this twitter thing is <laughs> <On> twitter, yeah. <laughs> yeah and so um and and in social media what i immediately saw uh, and uh, what eventually became the the subject of my book was that this was the first marketing channel where people could talk back to you. Right. You can't talk back to a billboard, you can't talk back to a TV commercial, or you can, but nobody's listening. And all of a sudden yeah. in social media, people could talk back and talk, and the whole world was listening. And my belief and what I... So first of all, I saw that as an enormous opportunity, that all of a sudden we could have a conversation with real customers and get insight yeah. in terms of what, what we're doing well and what we're not. Um, but I also found, and and I'm a believer, that but for social media, we wouldn't be talking about customer experience because when customers got a voice, a public voice, they used it to basically say that they were fed up with a bad experience. And yeah. and I think oh, it took a while, but companies started listening and hence the focus over the last few years on really pushing for customer experience. So. I loved that role. And I later asked my boss why he picked me for that role, because it was an internal transfer. He recruited me. And I had no digital background really before that role. And he Mm -hmm. said to me, the reason I wanted you for that role is because I've watched you in meetings. And you always have the customer's hat on. You are always representing the customer when they're not in the room. And I think we need that in the digital space. And Rod. I, I kind of paused for a minute because this guy, my boss, literally figured out something about me before I figured it out. And when he <laughs> said that, I was like, man, I think you're right. And, and I, I thought back in my career at, at how many times I had really advocated for the customer and really pushed for great experience. And so that just became my passion. And then all these years later, I finally, uh, after really having a side hustle for many years, I finally got brave enough to go off on my own as an independent speaker and consultant. And I love it. And my joke to everybody is I love working for the Dan better than I liked working for the man.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. Well, I tell you what, if... uh... I've worked for myself for a long time now and uh, and I, I keep joking to my wife that I'm absolutely unemployable because I couldn't work for anybody anymore. Um, yeah. You know, you just get so good at listening to yourself and then saying, hey, that's crazy. Let somebody else tell me I'm wrong. But uh, no, it's 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 a fabulous background. And, and it's interesting when you came into social media, because I guess you're coming into it when it's already established, but not any, I mean, it's
1: five years since it's changed a lot, hasn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, it was established, but what wasn't really established was the care part, the the customer service part, right? Because when when Social First came out, brands mistakenly saw it as another broadcast channel. In fact, as a free broadcast channel. I don't know if you remember, but, you know, it's like, wow, there's a billion people on Facebook and we can talk to them for free. You know, and Mm -hmm. I was in meetings where people were saying, hey, let's put our TV commercial on Facebook. And I'm like, you know what? They didn't want to see the TV commercial when it was on TV. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they definitely don't want to see it on Facebook. But that was the instinct of, of marketers. The instinct of marketers was, hey, this is a free channel. Let's just get out the megaphone and start screaming at people. And yep. I think that you know, w- I came in at the right time to realize that there was a different side of this particular channel um, that marketers didn't understand because marketers aren't trained in customer service, so right. um, that just became a, a, an easy niche for me to fill and, and something I was really passionate about. And that that comes to that that fantastic word engagement, doesn't it? Because it's not a broadcast channel;
0: it's an engagement channel. How how did people start to change? Because I remember very clearly when it was all just show, show, show. Um, wh- when did the when did the penny drop?
1: Well, I think there were some companies that really got out in front of it. And I'm proud to say I think Discover was one of them. Uh, Southwest Airlines was another one. Um, I think there were a, a bunch of companies that started very quickly building up staff in their contact center to respond to people. And, um, and I think what happened over time... I mean, Back at the beginning, people used, uh, used social media as a customer service channel of last resort. Meaning, they tried the telephone, they didn't get the answer they wanted, or there was a long hold time. They tried email, they didn't get a response, or they didn't like the answer. So now they're really upset, and they went to social media to vent. And yeah. what happened over time is that as companies started building up their social care uh, staff and and had you know fast response rates and, and were doing a really good job resolving problems, a lot of customers, yeah. including me figured out, you know what, this should be a channel of first resort, because this is the best channel to talk to a company. And today, the very first thing I do when I want to talk to a company is I will go to Twitter direct messaging. And I do that because I know that companies prefer that that customers go to direct messaging. So it's not in public. I'm not trying to embarrass a company. But I want an answer, and I want an answer quickly. And I don't want to sit on hold and so I go to Twitter DM is the first place I go. And that massive change has only happened in the last, you know, maybe two years. Um, and I think that uh, that's what's really made this channel such an engagement channel is that people are realizing it's the really the only place. Think about it. The old channels haven't really adapted so if you Mm -hmm. want to engage with a brand which more and more customers of today want they want a relationship with the brands that they spend money with where else are you going to do it other than social media i mean it's not you can't really have an engagement with a brand over email
0: no and twitter seems to be the place that that sort of had the most penetration and is the is the is the best really
1: yeah, I agree. I, I I mean, Twitter's been my favorite channel for a long time, and uh, I think it comes from when I was in college. I was the managing editor of the newspaper, and so I like and I and one of my jobs at the time was writing headlines. And I I feel like Twitter's about writing headlines, right? Because you gotta <laughs> yeah. you gotta write tight and and crunch it into 180 characters, no, hundred to 280 characters. I can't believe I yeah. got that wrong. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think Twitter has been uh, very popular in the United States with Facebook number two. And then my understanding yeah. is around the world, it's the opposite, that that Facebook tends to be number one for service and then Twitter number two. But either one of them are uh, important channels and channels where uh, customers, again, can establish a relationship with the brands that they spend their hard-earned money with. And they can also find other customers of the same company, right? And if you think of that, if you compare that to like a ratings and review site, which is very passive, Mm. you can go read what other people say about a company. But in Facebook and Twitter, you can have a conversation with them. And you can meet other customers and establish a relationship with them as well. I think it's wonderful. And, and as a
0: consumer, I love to be able to communicate quickly and get, you know, especially getting problems solved, you know, because if I can get something solved quickly, I'm happy. If they can solve it well for me, then I can rant about them and tell everyone how great they are. And that's all, all great. I find, though, that the listening isn't that good when um with a lot of businesses, if you make a comment about them, um, you get a DM back saying, I'm really sorry about that. Um, but then almost often um the the onus is thrown back to you. It's kind of a hey, why don't you call us on this number if we if you want more help? Um and that doesn't seem to have gone far enough for me. I think it's 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 interesting that they they hold out a hand and say, Look, we hear you, but then what happens next is important, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And I always recommend to companies that you try to keep people on the platform that they started with. I mean, imagine if you called a toll free number or you, you know, you called a call center and they said, you know, sorry, we can't talk to you right now, but we'd really prefer it if you would tweet at us. I mean, yeah. it's just so <laughs> it's so silly, right? You, They've never of happened. Yeah. And so uh, when we are on social media and we're told, well, please email us or please call us, that's not really a, re- a resolution. I mean, it's a response, but it's not a resolution. And I don't think that it is very satisfying for people because, as I said before, when we come to social media as consumers, we've chosen that channel intentionally. Mm-hmm. We, we don't yep. want to call, which is why we're there. So if the answer is, please call, that's a very frustrating response.
0: It's also throwing, throwing the, the hat back to me and saying, well, you know, it's, it's your problem, so you phone us. Um, and I think that's sort of, there's it, a double, double hit there, really. What can businesses do then to, to sort of
1: become better at the social side of customer care? Where do they start? Well, you said it, it's listening. And I think that is um, the first and most important part. And some of that requires kind of a change in attitude. And I've seen this across you know, both B2C and B2B businesses that we get very insular about our products and services because we build what we think is the best product or service. And mm-hmm. we're around other people who think the same thing. We're in a bubble, right? So we've created the best B2B SaaS platform there is because Mm -hmm. that's what everybody around us says, right? That's what all the other... That's what our developers say. That's what our investors say. And so we believe that. And what happens is we're reluctant to listen to other people who may have positive or negative comments about that. And Mm -hmm. what I always tell companies is never be afraid of a complaint because the people who complain, complain because they care. If they didn't care they would and which most people don't by the way they would just move right. on to your competitor they wouldn't even right. bother telling you what they don't like when somebody's telling you something that you're not doing well or when you're missing the experience for them or not delivering it's because they actually do want you to fix it and they want mm-hmm. to remain a customer of yours but if you're fearful of complaints and you're not listening and you're not responding you're not resolving then that same result happens is that people say they they throw up their arms and they say well this company isn't going to fix it so I'm going to leave to their competitor. And what I found is the more you listen, the more you can figure out how to really make your product or service best in class because what happens is when you put it out in the wild, people use your product or service in ways that you never imagined. I'll give you a great example. I once uh, interviewed the head of social customer care for Otterbox, which is the the phone case company. Right. And they have fantastic cases. They're super strong. They're uh, you know higher end, a little bit more expensive. Well, in listening in social media, what they found was that a lot of people were bringing their phones into the shower because they wanted to listen to music while they were showering. Right. That sparked an idea for OtterBox to build a waterproof case. They didn't have one of those before, and when they built it, it became one of their best-selling products. Now, that use case was not ever even thought of before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, until until they heard on, on social media that people were taking phones into the shower, which still, by the way, I, I, I shake my head at that. That seems <laughs> uh, unbelievable. <laughs> but it's a thing. Yep. Yep. It's a thing. And so, you know, if they hadn't listened, they would have never had that opportunity to create a product that became a, a bestseller for them. When we start to listen to
0: the complaints, there's all sorts of great stuff that comes of it. I know you, you sort of one one of my my favourite stories is Gordon Ramsay, the restaurateur, who you know he's become a a big telly name as well as everything else he does. But uh, in his one of his first books, I think he talked about not caring when people told him it was good. He said, "I know I'm good, but what I care about is when people say I'm bad because I can make that better." Um, and I think if you if you've given the opportunity, if someone if someone does care enough and gives you their time to tell you how to
1: make yourself better why wouldn't you listen to that you'd be crazy wouldn't you exactly and i equate it to delivering a review to an employee at work and you know one of the tactics that i learned early on in my career was for every review that i wrote to include three strengths and three opportunities and the reason i did that was twofold number 1 it forced me to really think through what this person was doing well and what they needed to do better. But it also from the other end, it made all the employees relax because they didn't have to say, oh no, I got three opportunities. Did you get two opportunities? Maybe you're better than I am, right? <laughs> and, and Because everybody got three opportunities, right. right? And so it took that piece out. But when I got reviews like that, I found them to be extremely useful as well because it, it, as you quoted Gordon as saying, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so if somebody says, hey, this is something we want you to improve upon, it's really helpful. I still, every time I go on stage for a keynote, I still solicit Feedback in a very formal fashion Mm -hmm. because I show lots of different examples in my keynote and I rotate the examples depending on the audience. So I have a huge library of examples and I ask people, tell me which examples spoke to you and which examples missed the mark. And it's kind of like in those standardized tests in school where sometimes they'll add in a a, a question that doesn't really count, but they're just sort of seeing how people react. Uh I'll stick in a new example every once in a while because I want to see how people react. And over time, I've become very confident that I know which examples everybody loves or just universally loved. Yeah. And then I also know I've pulled examples out of my keynotes and thrown them out because they, did, they I thought they were cool, but maybe the audience didn't. And that yeah. is so valuable because it's made my speech better over time because now really the only thing that's in my speech are all the good ones.
0: All, all the good ones. And if you don't ask for that feedback, you don't know. And it, people do like to shy
1: away from bad news, don't they? Of course. And, and they also, to your point, you know, it's, I remember when uh, we had a puppy a, a bunch of years ago and we took her for training. And the, the trainer was saying that you shouldn't say good boy or good girl. And, and the reason is, is because they already know they're a good boy or good girl. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not useful. And so what you have to do is correct the action, right? And, and so it's very similar. I, I mean, when you get a review at work that says, you know, oh, you're doing a great job and that's it, then you know, you're left wondering, well, why am I not the CEO? You know, why, yeah. why haven't you promoted me and given me a giant bonus if I'm so good? And, and similarly, when we only tell people good things, um, there's nothing to grow on. Now, I do want to sort of pivot just a tiny bit to say that one of the things that I have found that not enough companies are doing, though, is social media is also the only channel where people leave positive feedback. Right. If you talk to anybody who's worked in a call center, never once have they picked up the phone and had somebody call just to say, hey, you're doing a great job. Right. right? Yeah. Nobody does that. But in social media, people show love for brands all the time. Mm-hmm. And what shocks me is how many brands ignore that love. Right. I mean, think about that. That is one of your best customers. They're taking time out of their day to say something nice about you in public mm-hmm. to basically advocate for you and you're ignoring them. And it's like it's like me getting off stage and you coming up to me and saying, hey, Dan, that was an awesome speech and me walking away. Yeah. Like, it's not like, I mean, I would never do that and you yeah, shouldn't yeah. do that. So I, I do advise all companies, when you get positive feedback, thank the person. Yeah. Tell them that you love them back. You know, show them some love because they are... You've basically achieved at that point what every marketer is trying to achieve, which is word of mouth marketing. Yeah. and when you and and that's what a positive comment is, it's word of mouth marketing. So you have to acknowledge those people as well yeah. and uh, and just thank them because it goes so far, it's it, I think companies very much underestimate the value of um, of how people feel when a company acknowledges them, even if they just like your tweet. Yep. You're like, you know, you feel like you're on top of the world Yeah, because, wow, you know, Wendy's or Burger King, you know, <laughs> liked my tweet. Yep. I'm really, you know, I'm cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, and you and you mentioned that you talked about dog trading before, and and uh, they
0: just it, it made me chuckle a little bit because then you, you start talking about reinforcing good behaviors, and you know when someone thanks you, why would you not reinforce that? Um, you know when a dog sits, you give them a biscuit. The dog sits again. Um, you know we want that sort of thing, and and the more regularly people talk about us, the more we reinforce that good behavior, the more likely they are to do it again, aren't they?
1: Absolutely, and that's why I say that a remarkable customer experience can be your best marketing. Because having been a marketer for 20 years, having led teams in everything from direct mail to email to web marketing to social media, what I've found is that a happy customer talking about you and advocating for you is so much more powerful and valuable than any marketing campaign. Yeah, And if you could take your entire marketing budget and push it towards that, you would do it because that's what gets you new customers is when, you know, today, when if you think about it, how do we decide what product or service or to buy or what company to do business with? We research them online and we want to see what other people say. Yeah. And so when people are saying nice things about us, that is invaluable to customer acquisition, but also <clears throat> to customer retention because happy customers stay longer. They spend more money and they tell their friends. You you talked about there about uh, about people thanking you and um I instantly I'm thinking
0: great retweet 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 but is that kind of content the kind of content we should be doing should be doing is content marketing the thing we should be doing at all or has it all changed you know in 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 the last while
1: well I don't necessarily. Advocate retweet, retweet, retweet. Although I think you can, you know, find a really good one and, and retweet it occasionally. Right. But I do also think that content marketing has gotten out of hand, and that and one of the things I always advocate is, you know, if you think about your content marketing strategy from the recipient's point of view. Yep. I show in my in my keynote. I show a picture of a of a archery target where somebody was not real good because there's holes all over the target, right? You know, it's not <laughs> yeah. not they're not all in the bullseye, they're all over the place. And that's sort of the image that I have as a consumer where I'm sitting there getting all this content and it doesn't all link up to anything because what's happening is companies are trying anything. They're like, "Hey, let's do a webinar. Hey, let's do a white paper. Hey, maybe we need some thought leadership. Let's write a couple of blogs. Let's do a video." Mm-hmm. And it's like it's, you know, it's mind numbing after a while. And so instead, what I think is important is to listen to customers. They'll tell you what they want to hear from you. They'll tell you the stories they want to hear. They'll tell you the topics they want you to cover. Um, And they'll also tell you where they find you playing in your space, right? right? So if you're a B2B company in the information security world, you know, your content can be very targeted uh, towards that space where you can establish that thought leadership and And it's very valuable content. If your idea of content marketing is just selling your InfoSec product, Mm -hmm. that's not what people want to hear. So what should businesses do now? If I'm sitting chatting to a client, they've not really got a strategy in place. They want to do something. Where should they start? Well, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I would listen, right? I would start with listening. And so go on to social media, even if you don't have an active presence, yep. and listen to what people are saying about your company, about your industry, about your competitors, and you're going to find a treasure trove of information. And you're going to see what is on People's minds. We right. did a, an extensive study when I was at uh, Humana, and Humana is a, for those outside of the U.S. is a healthcare company that focuses on um, Medicare Advantage, which is a, a product for seniors. Right, and um, and through extensive listening on social and actually working with a third party to help us analyze it, we figured out that there was a large part of the population that thought of healthcare not as a health decision. But as a financial decision, so they were actually talking with their financial planners mm-hmm. about healthcare. Right. This was mind blowing to us because that's not how we were marketing the product. Yeah, right. We just—it's not. It, it, we, that's not how we thought about it. And so that piece of of uh, that finding that information. Mm-hmm literally allowed us to change how we were marketing, or at least to create a marketing campaign aimed at a new persona yeah. that we hadn't even thought of doing before. And so if you don't know where to start, start by listening, and you're going to get ideas that come up, and and probably they're going to be things that you didn't think about. So let's
0: go really basic. I don't know anything about anything I've been told by. I've just heard this great guy, Dan. He's told me to go and listen. But how do I do that? Do I do I put in hashtags?
1: Do I what? How do I do it? Well, the first thing I would do is I'd start looking for your company's name and mm-hmm. just searching for your company's name. I would go on Twitter, I would go on LinkedIn, and I'd go on Facebook. Um, and you will probably find that people are talking about you more than you expect. Even even smaller B two B companies um, are often. Talked about. I'd also obviously do this on Google mm-hmm. because um, there are you know ratings and review sites and other things that are are worth looking at as well for feedback. Um, I think that's the first place that I would start, and then I would i do the same thing with your competitors right. uh, because you're going to find both what they're doing well and what what people are complaining about them, and that may be the opportunity that you need. If you're you know people are complaining that your competitor's app is too slow. You know, you might focus on your R and D. You might focus your investment on speed mm-hmm. because because that's obviously a factor that's important in your industry. Um, so that's probably where I would start. And um, and again, you'll be very surprised at what's out there. If you don't find anything, if you really are a company where people just aren't talking about you on social media. Mm-hmm. Then I think you have to start by sitting down with actual customers. And that can be either in a focus group or it can be a one-on-one conversation. But so often, we are afraid to engage our existing customers and ask them how they're doing and ask right. for, for genuine feedback, right? You know, what what do you like about working with us? What's difficult about working with us? How do you like the people that are assigned to your account? Is there anything we can be doing to make your life easier? And I think we don't ask those questions because what we're afraid of is that they're going to say, yeah, you're too expensive. <laughs> well, yes, they're probably going to say that, right? Yep, yep. But we can, we can work past that and really start to get into the meat of it. And I think what you'll find, and this is the thing that I love about customer experience and all the examples that I share from stage, it, does, it usually does not take a lot of money or a lot of resources to improve your customer experience. We all hear these amazing stories about you know, five-star resorts doing amazing things and you know, yep. spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. And those are wonderful stories. And sometimes they'll bring a tear to your eye because they're, they're, just, they're really happy, great stories. But they're not practical for most companies. Mm-hmm. Most companies don't have that kind of budget. I find that there are tons of ways that you can spend almost no money and drastically improve the experience. I am I know you're going to ask me for an example. So give <laughs> Straight you away, one. yep, yep. <laughs> uh, the way that we communicate to customers, either in our marketing, on our contracts, in our legal disclaimers, on our website, in our emails, very rarely do we pay attention to how we communicate. And the opportunities that we have, just by changing some words... Act to change the experience. Right. So there's a company in Asia called Iflix. It's a uh, competitor to Netflix. Yep. And Iflix, like many companies, has a legal disclaimer at the bottom of their corporate emails. Mm-hmm. So when you send an email, at you know at the, the bottom it says, you know, if you're the unintended recipient of this email, you must delete it and burn it, or we'll take your children. <laughs> you know, you know which one I'm talking yeah, about, right? Yeah. 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 Well, at iFlix, that disclaimer starts out with three words in all capital letters, mm-hmm. and it says, covering our butts. <laughs> now, I ask you, James, and we did not rehearse this, if you see a paragraph that starts with covering our butts, what are you going to do? Oh, I love it. I'm going to love it. Yep. I'm going to read but it. You're going to, you're going to read it, right? <laughs> Which is exactly, by the way, what the lawyers want. They want you to read it. Well, yep. if you read the rest of this disclaimer from iFlix, the whole thing is hilarious. Yep. But you can tell if you dissect it that it was literally, I know this sounds like a joke, a, a lawyer and a marketer walk into a bar. Yep. But you can tell that it was a lawyer and a marketer sitting next to each other. So all the legal words are there, yep. but the marketer made it fun. And so you think about, if you take a step back and you say, wow, if somebody could make an experience out of a legal disclaimer, there's tons of places in my business where I can do that, yep. right? It's, and yet we never look in those places because those are just sort of the things that keep the lights on. And yet, imagine if you could create an experience with a customer when you send them an invoice. What if you could get a smile out of them when you send them an invoice because you were a little bit witty or you surprised them in some way? Right. Imagine how that changes the experience, and it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. It just costs you maybe a little bit of time. Dan, that I love that. It's it's places where we
0: don't think. I saw a meme recently that said Adam and Eve, the first people to ignore Apple's terms and conditions. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and people just do though. You just scroll down, click the thing, um, off you go. God is what you've signed your life away to um, on on a lot of what we do, um, and the opportunity to interact, the opportunity to engage in those unexpected places is really wonderful. Dan, could you leave us with one big thing, your golden nugget, the one thing that people could do in their businesses today and in the years to come to make them better? What could they do? Absolutely.
1: The one thing that I recommend is become a customer of your own company. And for most companies, that's possible. Even though I can already, I can see people shaking their heads. Even though they're, I can't see them right now, but um, it is yeah. so critical to become a customer of your company. Uh, one company that I started working at, the they had a when I first started there, because I was at a certain level, they offered to put a VIP flag on my account so that when I called customer service, I would go straight to a supervisor. I said, right. "Absolutely not. I don't want that." I don't want to be treated differently. I want to know what it's like as a customer to call customer service. And I want the basic treatment, right? Because that yeah. I can help and I can, I can um, affect. So very few uh, employees, executives spend time being a customer of your company. Now, if you're a B2B company and you're saying to me, I can't become a customer, number one... You can still go through the steps of becoming a customer. So you can still mm-hmm. um, go through some of the steps of uh, watching a presentation, uh, maybe reviewing a contract, uh, using the software. Um, you know how many? If you're a SaaS company, how many times? How long? How much time have you spent in your own software platform trying to use it for the use that it is meant, and try and and identifying places where it might be difficult to use. If you absolutely can't become a customer of your own company, then you need to attach yourself to one of your friendly customers and basically have them be your eyes and ears, You know, your mystery shopper, if you will. But a continuous yeah. mystery shopper, somebody that you check in with all the time to see how they're doing, to see what's happening, to see what's difficult um ask them to save every piece of communication that you send to them because you probably as an executive you probably don't even know all the pieces of communication that are going out the door and when you see them all up on a wall you know it's it is eye opening right it's like oh holy cow we don't even look like the same company every time right <laughs> we, got, we got a different yeah. logo here we got different colors here we got you know all this stuff and and it's very rare that you can take that 30,000 foot view and and look at the whole experience at once. And the only way you can do that is to either be a customer or to be very, very closely attached to a customer. Fantastic advice. And some really lovely examples
0: today as well. Dan, thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely talking with you.
1: Always a pleasure, James. Nice to meet you as well. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. I hope you really enjoyed this
0: episode of the Only One Business Show. And I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. And in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.